In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The assigned text for this morning was those portions from Leviticus chapter 18 and 19. Leviticus? Really? <laughs> Leviticus. What am I supposed to do with Leviticus? After all, isn't it mostly ceremonial laws that apply to the Israelites, but not to Christians? All right, well, I'll give it a shot. Oswald Bayer in his uh, book, Martin Luther's Theology, makes the point that the gospel opens all of our senses in order to discover, embrace, and delight in God's creation as God's gift. I suspect the same might also apply to something like the law. The gospel allows us to see that the law of God is not an arbitrary or capricious set of do's and don'ts. It's not a heteronymously imposed set of rules. I just like saying heteronymously. It's not something that we are to carry out simply because God said so. You know, it's sort of like when a parent tells a child, it's your bedtime. And the child says, why do I have to go to bed at 8 o'clock? Well, the easy answer for the parent is to say, because I said so. But underlying that, the parent knows a reality. If the child doesn't get 10 or 12 hours of sleep, the child is going to be awfully grumpy and ornery in the morning. There is an underlying reason, an underlying rationale for the rule of going to bed at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock. Well, the same thing applies to God's law. The portions we read from Leviticus, interestingly, correspond with the Ten Commandments and, for that matter, the law that is written on our hearts. In some ways, we can consider the law as kind of an instruction guide for dealing with the gifts of God. God gives us the gifts of creation and says, here's how they are used properly. It's sort of like getting a new ceiling fan and having to put it together. The instruction guide does help. If it says to use a Phillips screwdriver instead of a hammer, you're probably going to have greater success in assembling it. In the case of the law, it does reveal an underlying reality when you look more closely at it. And the underlying reality is twofold. First, as creatures, we are completely dependent upon God, and as fellow creatures, we are interdependent upon one another. Well, let's consider, first of all, our dependence upon God. This is his world, not ours. He made it, we did not. The Old Testament repeatedly tells us that the earth belongs to the Lord, and yes, Psalm 115 says that he gave it to us, but as his trustees, as his co-workers, you might say. And because the earth belongs to the Lord, because he created it, he knows how he designed it to work. Something that he reminds Job repeatedly in chapters 38 to 40 of Job. Well, here's the first thing that you and I need to recognize. God made us as creatures. We enjoy the gift of creatureliness. 
Now, you and I as Lutherans recognize and always affirm that we are saved by grace alone, by God's undeserved favor. But you know what? That also applies to our creatureliness. You might say we were created by grace, or as Luther put it in the first article, without any merit or worthiness in us. Our body, our senses, our imagination, our reason, all that makes us what we are is a gift. We did not ask to be created. We did not ask to be born. God created us freely. And that means you and I are dependent by definition. We are contingent by definition. You might say, what do we have that we have not received to borrow from Paul? We have to center our lives on something or someone. And God knows that. And Luther recognized it. And so in his explanation to the commandments, he pulls everything back to God. Every command begins with, we should fear and love God. In the same way as our text from Leviticus repeatedly says, I am the Lord, your God. By pulling everything back to God, it makes clear that the commandments are not a disconnected list of isolated things that we are to do or not to do. Instead, it pulls everything to God in such a way that the breaking of any commandment must be diagnosed as ultimately an attack on God. One might say a rejection of him as our creator and redeemer, and for that matter, a rejection of our own creatureliness. You know, wanting to be like God. In other words, you could say the nine commandments are simply nine commentaries on the first commandment. Nine different ways by which we live out the first commandment in our daily lives. Well, if that's the first underlying reality for why the commandments are not arbitrary and capriciously given, the second underlying reality is our interdependence upon each other and upon all of God's creatures within the wider creation. Consider that God created us from the earth for life on the earth. He did not create us to live in the methane gas of Mercury, or Venus rather. He did not create us to live in the vacuum of space without a lot of help. He created us from the earth for life on the earth. The earth, its water, its air, its food flows through us even as we move across the face of the earth and move through the air. That means that you and I are dependent upon each other and dependent upon the earth. Take away the air we breathe, the food we eat, the water we drink, we die. As Luther put it in the first article, God caused the earth and everything within the earth to provide us with what we need for life. You might say then that we are intertwined, we are interdependent with everything on earth, especially with each other. Some would call this the web of life. And that God provided space for all to live on earth, provided provision for all to live on earth. So that means that when you and I are, when you and I look after our neighbor, we can only do so by the way we handle, by the way we attend to, by the way we purchase, by the way we produce, by the way we deal with the things of the earth. You might say we can only care for our neighbor by attending to the support webs that bind us together and hold everything together on earth. The 
what Luther would call the tools, instruments, and means by which God maintains and preserves all life on earth. Well, this weekend you and I will be celebrating Independence Day for our country, a declaration of freedom from tyranny. Sometimes it gets taken to an extreme, uh, becoming independence from each other, independence from responsibility to each other or to the wider creation. As Christians, we can also celebrate ultimately independence, freedom from sin, freedom from the guilt of sin, freedom from the tyranny of sin, freedom from enslavement to Satan. But you and I know that the gospel in freeing us from sin and freeing us from Satan does not free us from God and does not free us from each other. Now instead, being freed from tyranny, from being enslaved to sin, we are then restored. Restored to God, our dependence upon God, living life from God, and we are restored to each other in order to live from each other and for each other and restored to the wider creation as well. I've often thought that it's remarkable as Luther walks through the 1520s and explores the ramifications of the gospel. The gospel allows him and enables him to embrace ever more dearly and to treasure more and more the gift of creation, our place within it, and our life with each other as well. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.